I'm so glad that Jesus is risen. I'm so glad that we have new life in here and babies. They can, they can keep going. We can, we can keep them going. But, um, but I am so glad to be here with you today celebrating Easter. Sometimes Easter Sunday, uh, I feel like preaching Easter Sunday is a unique challenge because everybody's dressed up. We feel more distracted uh, because uh, we're all thinking about the next thing that we're going to, uh, and, and because it's this celebration. It's just this abundance of hope. It's like everything Sunday, right? Uh, and so I have some narrow goals for what I want us to think about uh, this morning, and I want us to think about moments that have changed our lives. I want us to be thinking about life-changing moments and the texture and the details of those things. And I want us to be open to thinking about the ways that Christ's resurrection uh, and, and knowing that or having that intrude into our lives has changed our lives forever. I want us to, to be open to thinking about how that has happened or how that might happen in the future. Uh, so we're going to start with life-changing moments, moments that are truly life-changing, uh, See, sometimes it seems odd how they happen in regular time and space with regular sensory details uh, that, that we, we come back and looking back at that moment, uh, if you've had a life-changing moment, if you can think about something now that was maybe a big moment in your life, you probably remember um, some of the sights. You probably remember where you were standing or if you were sitting. You might remember a smell or a texture or a feeling that you had when something truly life-changing happened to you. Uh, one of the things that I always remember when I think of truly life-changing events, or lately for the last few years that I remember when I think of life-changing events, if I turn it on, it'll work, um, is this door in my house. This is, a, this is a door uh, that, that I was working on. Uh, Dave Carlson uh, was the church chair at the time. He noticed that we had an interior door on an exterior door part of our house that wasn't up to snuff. And so he brought a door. He said, let's install this door. I didn't ask permission. He looks like he's glaring at me now <laughs> to use him in the Easter sermon. Uh, and, and so... Uh, so we're installing this door. It's August. Stephanie's pregnant. It's really hot. We have the door kind of ripped off, um, and so we can't have, like, any kind of air conditioning or anything that's really cooling it off. The door project is more intense than we thought it was going to be. I'm chiseling the, the door, the kind of wood underneath. Dave knows what it's called. Um, and he's calling me Sven, you know, the, the Swedish carpenter uh, who's chiseling that door down uh, so that we can make space for the new door. And meanwhile, Stephanie had gotten back from Neighborhood House where she was volunteering with Noah. Um, she's, what, like seven months pregnant and just feeling hot and awful. So she's lying down on the couch, and then she's having some pain. She, she had called the doctor. I don't remember if I heard that she'd called the doctor yet. Um, she called the doctor, and they said, oh, you probably want to come up to the hospital and get checked out. This is something we'd done a couple times already in this pregnancy, is go up, go up to the hospital, get checked out, and then, you know, come back home, and everything's fine. 
Uh, so she says, please just finish the door because I want it to be cool when I, <laughs> when I get back. So we keep working on the door and I get a call and I remember the place that I was standing and I remember holding the cell phone up to my ear and Dave's, Dave's by the, the kitchen table uh, working on something and I'm standing there talking to Stephanie and, and she's sobbing. Um, I don't remember the exact words, but I remember she's going into labor. And I got to get up there right now. So I tell Dave, okay, Dave, you're in charge. You're in charge of the door and of Noah, right? <laughs> we, we hadn't quite ironed out all our contingency plans for this event, um, but it turned out it was going to be fine. Uh, and I go up to the hospital, and, and I remember... Uh, a lot of sequence of events. I remember a lot of these moments vividly in my mind. Um, but I remember taking this picture. This is uh, August 13th at probably 11.30 or so. Uh, and that's where I had to gown up and get ready because Stephanie was going into emergency cesarean section. Uh, and, and so I go in the room with her and Elliot's delivered. And he's two months early, and so he comes out, and he's in the hospital, and he's in all these tubes. Uh, and it's this, this traumatic, um, intense moment. Um, and it's a moment that's not just uh, about that one moment, but all those, all those details come back because it's a moment that definitely changed my life. It definitely changes your life to have a child, right? Right? Uh, to even even when it's your second, it's still life changing, uh, and so so all these moments going forward, I asked Noah's permission. I got that checked. Uh, all these moments going forward, and for the rest of my life, I'll I'll remember that the way that my life played out, the contours of it, in some ways, are linked to this door. Right, and I every time, sometimes, sometimes I look at the door, and I'm just trying to get to the barbecue. Um, but other times, I look at that door, and I'm just struck. Oh yeah, that was a day that changed everything. That was a day that changed everything. And I remember going through and remembering the sights, the sounds, the textures, the feelings, the fear, the hope. All of that comes back in a flood. And I can just kind of cry looking at the door, right? Looking at the door and remembering everything that happened on the day that we put in that door. We're going to zoom in on... Oops. Could you just advance to the next blank slide, Emma? My clicker's not working. Um, we're going to zoom in in the Gospel of John. Uh, and I'd encourage you, you know, maybe this week, if you haven't, haven't been reading uh, so far, read these resurrection stories. Uh, reading the resurrection stories that are in the Gospel, you can see over and over again how it, it has that same aspect uh, where time slows down, where the unexpected happens, where the little sensory details become linked to these big events. 
Uh, the Gospel of John zooms in on Mary Magdalene's experience. Mary Magdalene was a disciple of Jesus. She had, uh, the Gospel of Luke says that Jesus had cast seven demons out of Mary Magdalene. She, so she's had this life-changing encounter with Jesus. And then we zoom in uh, from our other resurrection story that we heard uh, to, to Mary's experience outside the tomb. And it says, now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white. Seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they've put him. At this time... She turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. He, he asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him. I'll get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him, cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. True accounts of truly life-changing events, uh, have certain traits. Uh, Pamela Meyer is an uh, expert on deception. She wrote the book Lie Spotting, Proven Techniques to Detect Deception. Uh, one example that we often get hung up on when evaluating somebody's story is chronology, right? Uh, and it turns out that chronology... Uh, the, the, the way that our brains are, are wired to relate a, a truly life-changing event that happens, something that really significant happens, uh, usually those stories come out in jumbles rather than in chronology. They come out with unique sensory details, uh, but they may not all come, always come out in the same chronology. Our memories don't process necessarily that way. True stories... Have usually have a short prologue and an epilogue, but are mostly the main event. So, so she says that uh, if somebody's telling you a false story, a lot of times they'll spend a long prologue because they don't want to get to the actual lie, right? <laughs> the main event lie. Uh, and, then, and then they'll cover it quickly. Uh, true stories have a short prologue. In Mary's story, there's just this simple setup that she's crying outside the tomb, she, uh, and then the short epilogue, you know, that she went afterwards and went to the disciples with the news. True stories are full of sensory details. We know this because when it happens to us, it's those weird sensory things that stick out. As she wept, she bent over. Can you imagine Mary telling John, uh, the gospel writer, yeah, I bent over and remembering that movement, the arch of her back to peer into where the tomb was. 
that the angels are seated isn't just saying that, that she saw a couple angels there, but that they're seated, one at the head and one at the foot. You know, just this odd detail. And then her mistake, classic mistake. Does anyone have that happen? You do something kind of embarrassing at one of the biggest moments of your life, right? Like that weird, I can imagine Mary always coming back. I can't believe I thought he was the gardener, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, there, there's probably times where that was funny and times where it wasn't, but it just has this real life texture, right? Like that's how it happens. And it's funny that that's how the resurrection of Jesus happens is with little mistaken identities, uh, all these uh, sights and sounds and textures. She thought he was the gardener, and then he calls her by name, Mary. I mean, there's deep theological significance to this, right? Uh, that Jesus says he's the good shepherd, and he knows this sheep, and he calls them by name. But, but it's also just that, that turning of, from her mistake to something that's intimate and powerful, just the saying of her name. I bet she heard that for the rest of her life over and over again, don't you think? Mary. And then she cries out, Rabboni. I imagine that she's thinking of all the things she wishes she would have said, right? <laughs> all the things she wishes she would have asked. But things that are extraordinary kind of happen like that. That all of a sudden it happened and Jesus says, don't hold on to me. It doesn't even, this account doesn't even talk about her um, grasping onto his feet like the other account does, right? But, but it's like all of a sudden, I don't remember the interim part, but I'm holding on to him. And he's like, get off, right? Quit holding on to me. Quit holding on to me. Um, and then she goes and she tells the other disciples. It's this truly life-changing event told in a truly life-changing way. Something that you would go back to again and again to realize the way that it's, uh, that it's changed the course of history. Something that Mary, I mean, think about it, decades down the road, her whole life is shaped by this Jesus story, by this resurrection story. Who she is with, where she lives, the sacrifices that she's made are all shaped by this one event. If you wanted to make up a story, uh, another deceit expert says that, uh, that true stories are marked by the fact that they convey rather than try to convince. Deceitful stories are full of things that try to convince you uh, of the truth of it or that, that seem to fit the best. Uh, there were later groups of people who tried to kind of glom on to, to bits and nuggets of Christianity. Uh, a lot of them were called Gnostic groups, and they're trying to use the story of Jesus for their own purposes. So sometimes you'll hear about these other Gospels, right? There's a Gospel of Thomas. There's a Gospel of Peter. They're, not, they're actually like centuries later, or at least... Uh, decades later, written, um, but but so they're not by those people. They're not by Thomas or Peter. Um, but they're trying to to convey a fact, but they're trying to use it for their own purposes. And sometimes I think we 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 hear of that in popular culture, and we're like, oh, it's this alternative thing that maybe is a different story that's true. As I've re researched them and looked at them and read them, I'm always I always go back, and it makes the Gospels look so much better. 
when you look at what people would write if they were trying to convince somebody. One of them is the Gospel of Peter. Uh, And it goes like this at the, the resurrection. And so those soldiers, having seen, awakened the centurion and elders, for they too were present, safeguarding. And while they were out relating what they had seen, again, they see three males who have come out from the sepulcher with the two supporting the other one. The two are probably the angels, maybe. I don't know. And the other one is probably Jesus. And a cross following them. The cross all of a sudden shows up coming out of the tomb. And the head of the two reaching unto the heavens. But the one being led out by a hand by a hand by them going beyond the heavens. So there's the two angels, their heads go all the way up to the heavens, and then the head of Jesus goes all the way up. He's giant, right? That seems fitting, right? (laughs) And they were hearing a voice from the heavens saying, you have made, oh, have you made proclamation to the fallen asleep, to the dead? And, And an obsessance was heard from the cross, yes, This is the talking cross. The cross comes out and says, yes, we did it. So there's ways that that false narratives and false narratives about Jesus, if you wanted to write something that's truly life-changing in the first century, this is more the way you would write it. Uh, You don't include the embarrassing facts about mistaking Jesus for a gardener. Uh, You don't waste your time with the bending over uh, you don't waste your time with the, the holding on to Jesus. You make Jesus really big, and you got a talking cross. <laughs> but I think we know from our own lives that truly life-changing events aren't like that. Just because it feels like it's the biggest thing that happens, it is, it is just one thing, and that's part of what makes it so special. That part, that's part of what we trace... Our, our whole history back to. The resurrection is a true story. Uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this. It, the, the resurrection is a true story that started a Christian movement full of people willing to suffer and die because they believed that they would be raised from the dead because they saw someone raised from the dead. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we of all people are most to be pitied. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, why would they go through all that pain and suffering? Uh, The New Testament scholar N.T. Wright spent years researching and writing a definitive scholarly work on the resurrection. And he puts it this way. The resurrection of Jesus took everybody by surprise. The disciples weren't expecting it. They knew perfectly well that if you followed someone who you thought was the Messiah, and he got killed, then that was it. We know of at least a dozen other messianic or prophetic movements within a hundred years on either side of Jesus. They routinely ended with the death of the founder. And then if all the movements if all the movement wanted to continue, they didn't say, "Oh, he's been raised from the dead." 
They said, let's find his brother or his cousin who can carry on the movement. You can see how the Jewish groups did that. This one did it differently. They had James, the brother of Jesus, as this great leader of the early church, but nobody said James is the Messiah. They said Jesus is the Messiah. Why? He's dead. They got him. Didn't you realize they crucified him? No. He was raised from the dead. The only way you can explain why Christianity began and why it took the very precise shape it was is, let's say it cautiously at first, first they did really believe that he was bodily raised from the dead. And then if you take all the second question, why would they believe that he was raised from the dead? You can go through all the theories that they found themselves forgiven, that they had a fresh sense of the presence of God, that it was some kind of cognitive dissonance. And you bring all those theories to the actual facts that we know on the ground in the first century, and they just don't fit. The only way you can explain the rise of the early Christian belief that Jesus was raised is that there really was an empty tomb. They really did meet Jesus again in a transformed body. That's the way that the thing makes sense. The key to making sense of history and of these accounts The key to making sense of the fact that we're here, that we have a cross full of flowers, is that Jesus actually did raise from the dead. That this life-changing, this truly life-changing event really did happen. And it intersects our lives. It's intersected each of our lives that are here at least enough to get us into a church with a cross on it, right? There's a way that it's transformed history forever. And for some of us, for those who profess belief in Christ, for those of us whose our lives have been changed, Easter and the celebration of the empty cross and the empty tomb is another way to, to look back, kind of how I look at that door, right? To say something happened that's changed the way I see myself. Something's happened that's changed the way that I see my life. As we go on daily life, uh, we can forget how, do we get he- how did we get here, right? How is it that everything is the way it is for me? Uh, why do I have the commitments that I do? Why am I living life the way that I do? Uh, and, and coming back and rooting ourselves in the fact that that life-changing event really did happen. Roots our life and it can root our trajectory. Uh, I had a chance occurrence earlier this um, spring on the beach at Cannon Beach uh, with Kathy Wolf. Uh, my family and I, we went to the beach for a day, and it was the day, a day that the men's retreat was happening, and Kathy Wolf is just walking down the beach by herself. And so I'm like, Kathy? Because, uh, you know, I don't always run into people at the beach. And, and I talked to her, and she shared a little bit about why she was at the beach, and a story of an encounter that was life-changing for her. As I was preparing this message, I just felt like the Holy Spirit, that God was leading us to to hear Kathy's story together um, as a way for us to, to remember maybe our own stories or maybe to gain vision for the ways that we could have an encounter with Jesus. So come on up, Kathy. Good morning. Is this on? Um, Happy Easter. He is risen. Um, 
I know many of you now. We've been here about two years, my husband Doug and I. But for those I don't, um, hello, I'm Kathy. Um, a while back, I did take that rest day down to Cannon Beach and um, did run into Pastor, my, uh, Pastor Mark and his family. And we were chatting, and I told him a little about um, part of my story, just an, uh, one of those moments. Um, there have been a lot of them, but it was a, it was a big one for me. Um, and he, had, he did ask me to share it today. And hearing his sermon, I can kind of see how it fits. Um, in my young childhood, I, uh, I did grow up going to church. You know, I was the kid up front you know, for story time, and went to Sunday school, and then my family stopped going. Um, my, my dad uh, left the church for a while. He did come back in his 70s and 80s, and for that I'm grateful. Um, by middle school, we weren't going, and uh, during high school, I was struggling, as many young people do, with questions of purpose and meaning, um, trying to figure out what really mattered. My family was well off. We, uh, we had a nice house, I had a car to drive, um, was good in school, had resources to do extracurricular activities, kind of had it all. Um, but it didn't seem to have a lot of point to it. And I thought, you know, if life is only about having stuff and doing activities, that didn't seem very meaningful, not a lot of purpose. So meanwhile, um, as we typically see in the world, there was a lot of arrogance and meanness. Um, high school can be a tough place. Um, Personally, I was, I was one of those people motivated to protect people. Um, that's another story. Um, anyway, I was looking for deeper meaning and love. A few friends were members of the church that, my, that I used to go to. It happened to be St. Andrews, which is just over the hill. Um, they invited me to go to the beach for a youth weekend. I like the beach. Love the beach. So sure, I'll go. And uh, also on that trip was a young teen, a, a girl who had some mental and emotional challenges. She was the kind who would be the target of a lot of teasing and ridicule at school. And she was one part of that group. Well, the weekend was like most youth, youth weekends. There's a lot of games and fun, um, some silliness, but also some serious times and some talks and learning from the Bible. Uh, the first night that, I, that we were there, that girl I mentioned, she woke up in the middle of the night screaming with nightmares. And uh, that's something that would be very awkward for most teenagers. But the Christian teens just surrounded her and listened to her and hugged her, let her cry, and stayed with her until she fell back to sleep. No laughing, no awkwardness, just that's what they did. Um, they loved her. Well, the next mart night, as part of the program, the leader suggested we go out on the beach and think about what we'd been learning and thinking and experiencing. And I went out, and it was dusk. You know, those details... Mark talked about that I can picture the sand and how far away I was from the waves and how dark it was, right between dark and light. Um, I thought about what I'd learned as a child, the foundation that was laid. Um, thought about what we'd learned, you know, from the Bible, but also about what I'd seen amongst the Christian teens and uh, how they treated a vulnerable person. And they just loved her. And uh, they did what I hoped people would always do. And what seemed to be important. So as I watched the waves, I recognized the bigness of God, you know, the creator God, but I also put my yearning into words. And I told God I believed in him, and uh, if he could change those often mean hearts of teenagers into loving hearts, I wanted him to change my heart too. And uh, to fill that emptiness that I had with that love that I could see. And no amazing flashes of light um, no grand emotions, 
but more of a peace and a calmness. Um, it was the start of a long journey. There have been other moments, um, getting to know God better, letting him know me better, and giving more of myself to him. But uh, ever since then, kind of like that door, the ocean that I have always loved is, always reminds me of God's love and his power that changes hearts, including mine. And uh, I go back to it. Thanks so much, Kathy. Thank you. I love Easter. I love Kathy's story. I love these approachable ways uh, that, that the resurrection becomes real in human lives. So I'd encourage you as, you as you come away from this time, think about if the resurrection has become real to you, use Easter as a chance to celebrate those moments. Maybe to share them in a family gathering. Uh, to celebrate the ways that, that the resurrection of Jesus has been real to you. I can imagine that the moment that Mary leaned down and peered into that empty tomb, she had no idea what the future would hold. There are so many implications of the resurrection. There's so many ways that it changes and transforms our life. But at a base level, uh, the thing that, that happened to Kathy, the thing that could happen to us, is we come to a realization there is deep truth in the resurrection of Jesus. There's a life-changing event that's happened and that, that we can put our faith in that, that it can change the direction of our life. It can give us hope, not only for, for our life here on earth, but for eternity. And it sets a new course. If, if you haven't had that kind of encounter yet, uh, the invitation is for you to open yourself to that. It could even be today. It could be this morning uh, that things are clicking, uh, experiences of your life, ways that God has been present to you in the past that you maybe uh, haven't been as aware of, that the power of Jesus' resurrection is real to you today in a way that you want to respond to. And there's an opportunity to do that as we pray. There's a chance for this beautiful flowered cross to become more than like a magical talking cross, um, more than just an ornament, uh, more than just something fun to think about, but a marker on our journey. A lot of folks come and take pictures with the, the flower, uh, the adorned cross, uh, that transformation from death into life. Um, yeah, I'd maybe encourage and challenge, if you're going to do that and you want to post it, don't just post, had a great Easter, but maybe post about the ways that the empty cross has set your life on a different trajectory. We have the opportunity to remember this truly life-changing event, to let it continue to shape the course of our lives and our lives together. If you would, join me in prayer. If you haven't been sure about... Uh, 
Jesus or where your commitment to Jesus lies. I'm going to pray a simple prayer that you can follow along with with me in. Uh, it's important to have the opportunity to let your let moments where God is tugging at your heart um, become life changing. And so, if you are are convinced that Jesus would have this be one of those moments, please pray with me now. God, I know that something real happened on the cross. I know that there's something real about your love in this community of people called to follow you. I believe that I can be forgiven. I believe that you have a new life for me. And I'm willing to take a step into that in faith today. God, would you be with us as we remember the ways that you've formed and shaped our lives? Would you create uh, treasured milestones of the ways that you've turned us from death to life, that you've added uh, goodness and, and grace where there was condemnation? God, would you Give us uh, hope that's rooted back in the cross, the ways that you've intersected in our lives. If we're weary of following you, if we're tired of the, the evil that we see in the world, would you remind us of the ways that you've set us on this journey? Would you remind us that your empty cross is a true testament to the fact that death won't have the final word? God, give us courage and strength as we celebrate this Easter. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.